Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepard. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me, as always, this week is my co-host, John Tidy. John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Excellent. And this week, we want to cover, I guess it's a frequently asked question. It's something I see people ask often online. Um, and it's kind of a red herring question, but I thought we could we could dig into it anyway, because there are some interesting little issues kind of underneath the surface of the question. So the question is, what is the best digital audio workstation, DAW, for mastering? And so I use Wavelab. John, you use Reaper, I know, yeah. and we'll talk yeah. about the, the kind of the advantages and disadvantages of both of those. There are a ton of applications out there. Um, and John came up with a cool suggestion for this episode. We are going to kind of give a list, if you like, a shopping list for our ideal mastering application and then see which of the applications that we've used or heard about can do all of those things on that list. Just before we do, though, I want to deal with as a bit of a bugbear of mine, which is that I often hear people say, oh, I use this DAW or that DAW because it sounds better than the other. So there's people saying, oh, I use Logic because it sounds better than Pro Tools, or I use Pro Tools because it sounds better than Studio One, or whatever. Um, and this kind of drives me mad because as far as I'm concerned, if you hear any difference between any of those audio applications, something is broken. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, this is digital audio. If you have an audio file, you bring it into, say, Logic versus Cubase, and then you re-export that audio file with no processing, and you compare those two files, they should sound identical. Um, they might have different dither. If you have dither switched on, and if you don't know what dither is, there's an episode on it back in the archives. We won't go into it now. But if you compare those two files, other than a tiny amount of noise, they should sound identical. And the same should apply if you increase or decrease the level by a certain amount in each application, or even if you bring in a plugin and run the audio through a plugin. If everything is working correctly, those files should sound identical. That's one of the points of digital audio. But I often hear people saying that they don't think that's the case, that they think that this program or that program sounds better than the other, and they give reasons like, oh, this one is 64-bit processing, or this one's 32-bit floating point processing, whatever. It just makes no sense to me. And I, you're the same, right, John? Yeah. I mean, even today, people are asking me about like differences in sound between different EQs. And, and that's one of my least important features of an EQ is how it sounds, to be honest. Like, they all sound the same to me. And I can usually get what I want out of them. With different DAWs, it's never been a concern for me. No, I mean, there are reasons that different EQs might sound subtly different, by which I mean if you dial in the same numbers, like say a boost of 3dB and a, a Q of this or that, th there can be different uh, algorithms used for the way that those EQ boosts are applied. Actually, often there aren't any differences. Often when you, when you go into it, you'll find that they're exactly the same, but there yeah. can be theoretical differences. The shape of the bell curve that you're using, um, you know, some EQs do a different thing when you boost than when you cut. Yeah, but that's not how you, you don't use an EQ that way. You don't 
type in the numbers and then get another EQ and type in the numbers and then A, B them. Like you just move it around until it sounds good and you move on. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. I mean, the, so the one exception I would say to that is I, I remember the first time I was playing with Ozone. Um, and to begin with, I couldn't get the EQ in Ozone to do what I wanted at all. And I had to change a ton of options. I think it, by default it was in analog mode and I had to kind of switch it to like surgical digital mode or something. And then suddenly it started doing what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just, again, that was just a difference between what the numbers said and the way that the EQ sounded. If I was working with my eyes closed, I think maybe I was even looking at the curve, you know, and just kind of seeing what seemed to be a large boost and expecting to hear something different than I was. But it's not to say that the EQ was better or worse than anything else. It was just different. Um, And I think that's what it comes down to me with all of these applications. There are all kinds of things that can be different in between uh, pieces of software. You could have different pan laws where if you have a mono track and it's panned hard left and then you pan it into the center, by the point it reaches the center, it's coming out of two channels. Um, And there are various different ways that you can decide what the gain should be when it's panned centrally versus when it's panned hard left or hard right. That's called the pan law. We don't have to get into the details of it, but that could be different from one piece of software to another. You could have different implementations of EQ. Certainly you could have different stock plugins. You know, most DAWs come with a built-in compressor these days. There's no reason to expect that those two compressors would sound or work in the same way. One of them might emulate analog hardware. The other one might not. Um, You know, one of them could be like an 1176 style emulation. One of them could be an LA-2A style emulation. Those are going to sound different and react differently. But that's, again, nothing to do with the sound quality. That's not saying that one sounds better than the other. You might just have preferences one way or the other. Um, Sure. But even things like the color of it could influence the way you you hear things. Like our ears are so easy to fool. Uh, Okay, so you mean like we're fooled by what we see in terms of what we hear? Yes, exactly, yeah. 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 No, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, yeah, I, I'm currently quite a big fan of the FabFilter EQ, but it's all to do with the interface and not a heck of a lot to do with the sound of it um, for the most part. So, and, you know, there are other things like how the DAWs use dither, quality of the sample rate conversion. We could talk about that maybe a little bit more in a minute. All of those things are potential differences between the DAWs, but it None of that means one of them to me. None of that means that any of them sound better than any of the others. There are just things that can be different about them, and you might prefer one over the other. One exception to that would be Mixbus, which is a DAW made by Harrison, who are the, the console manufacturers. They've deliberately made the Mixbus software sound as much as possible like one of their analog consoles. So they have built in, uh, I think, channel saturation and bus saturation and uh, various other little kind of quirks, if you like, almost built-in imperfections to try and give it more of that feel of working on an analog desk. Yeah, but even that is optional. Right, it's it's optional and it's a, it's a thing of preference. You know, it's, yeah, if you disable that, it should work just like any other DAW. So I think that's probably uh, enough for this module of our discussion. <laughs> it's I think a, you're probably right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, so file that one under red herring and let's move on. Um, okay, so let's talk about the ideal features that we want from a mastering uh, program. I'll kick it off by saying kind of my 
minimum requirement goes back to what I was saying just a few minutes ago. In fact, is I want to be able to import a file and then either write a master of that file or export that file and know that it has no changes. And the reason I say that is that I've used software in the past where that isn't the case. And in fact, I can't remember now that there's something, one piece of software I still have on my computer that doesn't do that. Maybe it's a plugin where you enable it and it should be bypassed. And actually there's some tiny change to the audio. And that's not to say it's necessarily a problem. I'm not saying it's necessarily making it sound any worse, but the kind of the simplest form of mastering is what we used to call a copy master, where somebody would send you a digital tape. You would transfer that digitally to the Umatic master tape to be sent off to the plant to have CDs pressed. They wanted to know that exactly the numbers they had on their tape were going to be what came out on the CD because that's what they were paying you for. Uh, so any piece of software that can't do that, I'm going to have a problem with as a kind of minimum requirement for, for mastering. Now, of course, that's not usually the case these days. Most of the time we're applying processing, so it's less of a an issue possibly. But I want to know that that's... I mean, particularly, for example, if you're doing multiple revisions, you know, if you if you call up a previous version of a project because the client's requested some alterations, you want to know it's going to produce exactly the same results every time and that nothing is going to get changed unless you want it to be changed. I'm guessing you agree with that, John. What would you say is the next most important thing on your list as far as mastering is concerned? The next thing that I think is important is being able to export a DDP both uh, properly and also efficiently. And, and there are a lot of DAWs that can do DDPs um, but it's a hassle to do. And and that's the number one concern or the, the number one reason I don't like doing um, DDPs in Reaper. Even though it can, it's just a pain. It takes it, it takes half an hour instead of two or three minutes in another program. Right. And that's one of the reasons that I like WaveLab. Is that yeah, WaveLab is quick too. Yeah, the DDP support is is excellent. Um so just for anybody who hasn't kind of picked up on this yet, DDP is Disk Description Protocol. It's basically the standard format for a CD master. So technically pre-master, right? Yeah, I guess that's, well, technically everything we do is pre-mastering. Um, yeah. Because technically speaking, the mastering is is what happens at the plant where you transfer the files we send that makes the glass master, which is then used all the way down. But in everyday language, what you know, everybody calls what we do mastering. Um, yeah. So, and yeah, I mean, and that might surprise people, I guess, given that these days, well, some people will tell you that CD is dead. Um, lots of people are not bothering to release things on CD. They're going straight for online delivery of files or whatever. Um, I kind of, I still always work with a CD master in mind, partly yeah. because it's, it's really easy to to kind of go the other way. If you've got a, a CD master where, you know, you've got all the songs, all, they're all balanced, they're in the right order, you've got the gaps, you've got the track information, you've got ISRC codes, if you're going to add those, all, all the metadata is there. You press one button, you export it, and you get a CD master. Somebody wants the files, you just change the output format, hit another button and export those instead, um, you know, or provide them with whatever they like, higher res versions, all the rest of it. For me, I like to get to the end of a project and it to be done. Whereas if instead I just master a bunch of files that they're going to send out and then they come back and say, oh, can we have a CD master? Suddenly I'm having to do an extra, probably an hour, hour and a half's work to do all of that stuff, to do the, the gaps and the titles and all the rest of it. Um, 
So it, I guess it's something of a workflow issue in my head, but I, the DDP kind of feels like the end of the line to me. Sure. And then everything else can be produced from that. Um, and yeah, I really like WaveLab because the, the DDP support is excellent. And actually I mentioned, you know, I mean, we could talk briefly about all the other possible formats that people might like. Um, one of the nice things about WaveLab is you you put everything together and then you can literally hit a button and just export files or MP3s or whatever it is you need. And I think Reaper is the same. Is that right? Depends on your workflow, how you set up your project. But but yeah, if I do it with uh, different songs on each on a different track. A lot of people like to do uh, alternating tracks, so just two tracks in the project, um, or or even one track in the project. But I like to do track based effects, and I have a different file on each track, and there is a gap between each one, so it's like a staircase. Mm-hmm. I use regions, which are a uh, basically a marker that marks a time selection, which is the entire length of each song. Those regions automatically get the names from the items that were dropped in, and then I can export regions from the uh, export window. Mm-hmm. So it's like 12 songs. I just select which ones to export. So if there's a, a revision of off for song four, I can just uh, select only song four to export. It's so fast. Yeah, that's that's cool, and that's actually that's maybe could be useful for people who are comparing it to the workflow they might have in their DAW. Because I should say at this point, I haven't used all of the mastering applications out there. I worked in Sadie, uh, the Studio Audio Digital Editor, I think it was called, which was the kind of the industry standard for mastering for many years. Sonic Solutions also made a piece of software back in the day. They now make a thing called Soundblade that I haven't used. There's there's other software out there. So, but one of the things I like about WaveLab is that, for example, you can attach, you were talking about regions in Reaper. In WaveLab, you can attach markers to the beginning and ends of each song, mm-hmm. uh, which correspond to the CD markers that will be used as the start and end identification points on the final CD. And those move around with the songs. So if the client comes back to me and says, oh, can I increase the gap between track four and track five? One thing is you can set a ripple edit in WaveLab so that any change you make to the timing of one track everything else will be shunted later or earlier depending but also you know that the the id flags move with the audio for all of those tracks um which kind of sounds like a really simple thing but it's you only have to do one or two masters in a piece of software that doesn't uh, if it doesn't have have that feature yeah (laughs) well it doesn't have ripple edit and where the edits don't move like i had one that had ripple edit but the id flags stayed where they were so all of the yeah. audio moved and then all of the IDs were wrong and I had to go through and manually adjust all of those by hand. You know, that kind of thing. It's okay if you do one master a year, but if you're doing one or two a day, that can be a deal breaker. For sure. So that's the kind of the workflow tangent, I guess. Which it is it was a bit. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to get into that, but I, I find it so hard to separate workflow from features. Yeah, no, I, I think that's... Workflow gives you the reason to have the feature or vice versa so yeah if you're missing a particular feature your workflow can go out the window um yeah absolutely (laughs) um well let's so okay so let's we'll come back to workflow in a bit let's let's kind of go back to features so we need to know that the software can accurately reproduce the audio that you give it if you with whatever changes you might make you need to be able to output the master format that you're looking for yeah and you should be able to batch render 
in any format and any particular song. You don't have to do it all in real time or anything like that as well. So flexible exporting in addition to DDP exporting. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, that's an interesting... Back in the in the day when I was using Sadie, it didn't have that. They were just introducing... God, that gives me an idea how long ago it was. <laughs> they were just introducing non-real-time processing for for third-party plugins. You could do faster than real-time um, export and stuff for things that were within the software, but not for external plugins. And actually, for me, that reminds me of a feature that's really important to me. You were saying you like to have track-based effects. You have a different track in the mixer for each song, and you put different processing on each track, on each channel in the mixer, right? Um, yeah. I prefer to, to have clip-based effects. So I have the audio clips laid out continuously in the order that I want them on the album. And then I can just put whatever effects I like on each individual audio clip. Um, yeah. And just like the ID markers move around with the audio clip, so do the effects. I guess that's just the thing of, of preference. I, I think it is as well. I see people mastering in Reaper using clip-based effects. What I don't like about it is that once you start editing, uh, if you find a clip that you want to send to RX or something like that, you have to copy the effects chain and if you want to make a change to that effects chain, you have to update every little piece of audio for that one song to get the same effects or, or you know, suddenly it's changing. And with track-based effects, I know that it's always going to be the same no matter how many edits and different versions I'm bringing into the same song, things like that. I can always do automation to make changes when I want them. Yeah, I agree. That, that, that can be an issue. I've had that sometimes where you want to make an edit within a song. So you suddenly have two regions where you used to have one and you have yeah. separate effects on each one. I mean, the way that I work around that is that I don't know about Reaper, but WaveLab has a nice ability to just instantly replace the audio in any particular clip. So say I want to work on something in RX, I will just import the whole file into RX, do the processing that I want, re-export, and then swap that file out with the original. So yeah. it always stays as one. And then I use automation rather than edits within the individual clips not always and sometimes when i split things um yeah you have to be careful to to remember those kind of things it is it's it's a preference thing there there are different ways of working and um, we both mentioned rx there which obviously we use for restoration uh -huh. taking out clicks distortion maybe reducing some hiss uh those kind of restoration processes now some of those are built into wavelab in fact um I just haven't really bothered to explore them. Like, for example, the, the spectral editing that was kind of a unique feature of RX back in the day is now available in WaveLab. I think it's available in Reaper. Yeah, it is as well. Uh, they've just released something like it in Audacity, even, uh, which is a, a free audio editing application. Um, so, But for me, I'm so kind of used to using RX, I'm just more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you can do it full screen. It's one big thing instead of being limited to, you know, the interface or in WaveLab, you just have like the track area, right? Or the clip area. I, I don't know if you can do. opened it. I don't okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it, it's, I mean, it is nice to be able to sometimes take your clip and bring it into another program and being able to just focus on restoration of this clip and not be distracted by uh, metering and plugins and, all the other songs on the project, um, not not seeing automation lanes or anything like that. So RX is is uh, 
it's indispensable, but also you kind of do expect to have a lot of those features built into the DAW these days. So the Dream Mastering DAW would definitely have uh, spectral analysis and some form of spectral repair. Yeah, but then it would also have all those other things like de-thump, de-click, de-crackle, de-hiss, this, yeah. the rest. But you made an interesting point, which is I do actually, although restoration can be an important part of the mastering process, I actually kind of like having it in a separate kind of compartment, if you like. Yeah. Just, just like I prefer to have mixing and mastering entirely separate, even though there are some people who like to master as they go along. Some um, people. <laughs> yep. We'll avoid that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like the clarity of, okay, I'm going to restore this track. Um, you know, so I have my notes. I listen through, I'm listening for certain things. I fix all that stuff. Then I export a fresh file and that's what I bring in to the mastering DAW. Yeah. So I think there's, a, for me, there's a case for having a restoration piece of software as a separate process. One disadvantage of that, though, is that you are not hearing it with all of the processing in place. I was just going to say that. Say you have something that's come from vinyl or some other, I don't know, so you've got digital sync clicks in there or something, and in the mastering you're applying a big high-frequency boost. That could bring out a whole host of faults. It could bring out the hiss. It could bring out the distortion. It could bring out the clicks. Even so, not hearing it through the through your master limiter. There's a lot of times I need to, uh, in RX, I, I use the gain plugin and boost the gain and then click preview on that to listen to what I'm doing. That's the only way I can hear it in context or closer to context. What I end up doing is cranking up the monitoring gain and then every so often I forget when I go back to WaveLab <laughs> and blast myself <laughs> to the back of the room yeah. which, and fear for my monitoring. So yeah, there there are definitely some pros and cons. Uh, I could live with a mastering DAW that didn't have all that restoration stuff built in. I think, I mean, also you could argue that it might make the whole thing just kind of too overwhelming in terms of features and flexibility. I guess there's a, um, there's an argument for making things kind of lean and mean and dedicated um, when you, if you're designing software, but restoration is definitely part of the equation. So we, we shouldn't leave that out. Uh, what else do we have here? Sample rate conversion. Who needs it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just That's have right. to throw in things like that to th catch you off guard. I'll forgive you. It's, um, I agree. It's a pretty dull <laughs> topic. Um, and it's dull because the truth is any well-written piece of software should be able to do a great job of sample rate conversion these days. Um, and in real time. And in real time, yeah, with modern processing speeds. Um, yeah. Now, that's not the reality, um, and we've provided this link a few times, but we'll put it on the show notes at themasteringshow.com. Again, for anybody who wants to see it, there is a, a great web website that allows you to look at, it's got visual analysis of the sample rate conversion quality of a whole host of different digital audio workstations. And some of them, especially in the older versions, are extraordinarily bad. I would have to say, playing devil's advocate to this, one of them that comes up as not being great is Sadie, that piece of software that I mentioned that I used for years. And there were various times where I had to use Sadie to do some sample rate conversion, either because it had to be done quickly or whatever. 
I can't say that I ever heard any horrendous problems with it. So, you know, you've got to take those kind of, that kind of analysis with a pinch of salt, I think, just like converters or dither types and things like that. Yeah. All those kind of things, they do have an influence on the sound and maybe sometimes it's really important, but a lot of the time it's the least important consideration that you have. Um, yeah, we need high quality sample rate conversion. Ideally, it needs to be built into the DAW. Uh, the sample rate conversion that's built into WaveLab is pretty damn good. It's not the best in class, but it's good enough. And the great thing about it is that, for example, you can monitor through it listening at 44.1 kilohertz with a high-res file in the timeline, make all of your adjustments, then quickly flick back to high-res to check that you're happy with the way those two things sound, if you can hear a difference at all. <laughs> um, and it's very flexible and very easy. And again, that's a workflow SU rather than having to do all of your mastering, for example, at 96 kilohertz, export all the 96 kilohertz files, take them into another app, sample rate, convert them to 44.1, bring them back in and reassemble the uh, the DDP structure. That's actually pretty easy in WaveLab, thankfully, but it can be a real headache in some other applications. So that's another, I think, ingredient in the ideal mastering DAW would be great SRC. I think it needs to be able to do uh, by integrating hardware. And I have no idea how WaveLab does it. Uh, with Reaper, it's pretty simple. Certainly lots of different workflows for that. But being able to uh, just kind of integrate hardware, compressors, EQs, and things like that, as kind of as if there were plugins, is pretty important. It is. And it's actually one area that uh, WaveLab isn't great, to be honest. Uh, you can loop audio out through an external hardware chain and record it back in. I haven't actually tried it for for a while uh, because it was pretty clunky. Uh, from memory, you could record it back in but not listen while it was recording. So then you had to listen to the file again. And you were kind of constantly switching between whether you were listening to the external hardware chain or not, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was definitely much less flexible than most digital audio workstations. You know, a most multi-track, uh, like Pro Tools or Logic or wherever, you can even play out multiple different versions through different alternative processing chains, if you would like, and compare the results, for example. So yeah, that's definitely an area that WaveLab needs to improve. It's not a deal breaker because you, if you want to use external hardware, you can just play out from a different app and record into WaveLab. Um, but then you're moving away from that, you know, the, the dream solution where it's all built in. So yeah, that's definitely something that WaveLab needs to improve on. Uh, it was it was fine in Sadie, as I remember. I haven't used the others. I mean, I'm guessing that pretty much any of the, I guess, mixing software out there, that kind of stuff is should be built in. And you just need an, an interface that has enough outputs and inputs to uh, support the configuration you want to use. You mentioned that um, automation is important to you, and we were kind of wondering whether we should include it as a feature. I mean, you would think that automation would be included in pretty much any piece of software these days. Um, but one interesting distinction we came up with is that we, I was saying that I tend to only use automation by drawing it in, whereas you like to effectively record the automation, kind of playing it live, if you like. Is that right? Well, not really playing it live, but it's it's called uh, latch preview mode in Reaper, and it essentially suspends any automation that's there. So like 
it unlocks any parameters that were previously automated. And then you can adjust any parameter on any track, any plugin, panning, volume, all this, this kind of stuff. And then you just press a button and it writes it to your time selection or to the beginning of the project, to the end, whatever it is. And it puts it back into read mode. So you're doing like flat line automation, but you can do it on more than one parameter at a time. Uh, so that you can automate like every band of your EQ for one section of the song and you know punch in and out really quickly. I've mostly stopped drawing in automation for like flatline stuff. Yep. I, I, I mean, I'd go, that's not the way that I work, but I can, I think the ideal mastering application is, is going to be able to fit anybody's workflow. Um, and I mean, I should even say it might be possible to do that kind of thing in WaveLab. I've never even tried. Uh, I just kind of, I tend to prefer with mastering, I would, I kind of start from the point of view of just having one setting for a song. Um, yeah. And then maybe some, if there are going to be changes, they're as simple as possible. But having said that, I've been using automation more and more often of late. Um, so, you know, I think that's definitely something that's worth happening. Um, I think we've covered most of the features that we were talking about in the Dream application. Unless anything else has occurred to you along the way. Well, I, I think it should be able to load a DDP as well. Okay, good point. I, I don't know which ones can do that at the moment, I actually don't even know if Reaper can do that. Um, WaveLab can. Yeah, but being able to export a DDP and then bring it back in and verify everything, check your metadata, uh, being able to play it as an album, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's one of the one nice thing that you can do with WaveLab. Um, I've even you can import an entire DDP with all of the metadata and all the rest of it. Once or twice, I've kind of thought to myself, did did I make that change or not? Do I need to rerun this DDP to be sure you have that kind of paranoia? Um, so I've actually imported an entire DDP, copied the audio into the same playlist as the original audio, lined them up, um, then flipped the polarity on one of the channels and played them back to make sure that they null, they cancel out. Um, that kind of flexibility is is really important, I would agree. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. Here's one. How about um, being able to A-B compare different effects chains or individual plugins, different settings, loudness matching as well. Okay, well, we don't need that. Okay, so here's an interesting <laughs> point. I can hear where you're going with this. Um, the, don't want to make your plugin obsolete, but I think if we're building the dream diet, that should probably be built in already. Well, okay, but so you've reminded me. So for anybody listening who isn't aware, I have a plugin called Perception that gives you loudness matched AB comparisons in any DAW. Um, and John is suggest. I, I agree actually. Yeah. In the dream mastering application that should be built in, but I guess also, so should analysis. So frequency analysis, spectrograph, correlation, all of those kind of things. But loudness meters, loudness meters, all of the, yeah. VU monitoring, whatever you fancy, except, I mean, this is an interesting, I am very happy using plugins to achieve that. So there's, you know, there's isotope insight, uh, there's new gen visualizer, uh, blue cat, make an analysis plugin. There, there are a lot of great analyzers out there. There's my dynamometer plugin or <laughs> another free plug. Um, do we need those things built into a mastering DAW? I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that we are. I mean, I think, 
Okay, so there's another feature that for me is that the mastering application needs to easily um, and seamlessly support as many plugins as you would like in terms of either processing or analysis. So another thing that I like about WaveLab is I can put all of my processing plugins on the clip and then I can stack all of my monitoring and metering stuff up in the master section, in the output section, and keep those two things separate. Um, most DAWs are going to allow you to do that as well. I think we need to have uh, a separate um, monitoring effects chain for analyzers and things like that, and one that uh, exists in all projects. So if you make a change to your monitoring chain in one project, when you load the next one, that change is still there, um, rather than project-specific. The master fader would always have its effects for that project, but a, monitor, a separate monitoring chain for everything else. Yep. I guess that's how WaveLab works. Yeah, in the output exa section? Exactly, yeah. I feel like the time has come to start wrapping this up by talking about workflow again. Um, and in particular, whether any of the applications we have um, already has all of these features. Um, I mean, I don't think any application that I'm aware of can match RX in terms of the restoration tools. So I think we have to allow that for the time being to be a separate application. I don't think any of them has all of the metering options that I would like. Dynameter is the only plugin that does what it does at the moment, for example. Um, but also, I really like the spectrograph display in Isotope Insight. So I think we can allow the ideal application, if we're going to make this real world, right? Because the truth is, there is no piece of software that has all of the features that we've listed. So if we kind of try and narrow this down to what the great options are that people listening to this can experiment with, let's set restoration to one side, let's set analysis to one side. I think the big distinction in terms of workflow that we could draw is applications that do and don't support DDP. Because there are several applications that allow you to create a DDP image from a collection of files. And that's what, what you need to do with Reaper, right? Because you were saying the workflow in Reaper with DDP is just too frustrating. It's a bit too slow, but it, it's great for all the audio processing, all the workflow aside from creating the DDP. But for me, I use the, the HOFA, or HOFA uh, DDP tool, and it, it's like two minutes. So it was well worth the money getting that as a separate thing. Right, and Sonorous make DDP Creator as well. And I'm feeling there's another DDP application that I've forgotten the name of. There's a few. Right now, you either have a DA, you could use any DAW to do your audio processing, uh, you know, Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase, Reaper, any, any of these others, and then something like Hoffa or Sonorous to create the final DDP image. Um, I don't know whether that's that important a distinction. I really like the fact that WaveLab does the whole thing that I can, well, if I'm 100% digital, I can work in WaveLab from beginning to end and everything is kind of built in and integrated, but it's not that much of a headache. If I'm going to uh, say, okay, we're allowed to use RX for the restoration section, I think we should <laughs> allow people to use the the DDP features in another piece of software. Um, well, then I start running out of knowledge because I haven't used all of these different applications. I mean, in terms of quotes, professional mastering software. There always used to be Sadie and Sonic Solutions, which is now Soundblade. People also talk about Pyramix and Sequoia. Um, I haven't used either of those. I haven't either. No, 
So I guess we can't really comment on those. I think all of those have DDP support built in, which is going to be an advantage for anybody who finds that important as well. Wavelab has it. We've talked a ton about that already. Studio One has DDP support. Um, and I have played with that a little bit. I quite like the workflow there. One interesting thing, if we're talking about workflow in Studio One, is it basically has a mix mode and a mastering mode. So you work in mix mode up to the point where your mix is at the stage where you're happy with it. And then you can automatically export that into the the kind of the mastering phase or section of the software, the mo- mastering mode for the software. The nice thing about that is if you get halfway through mastering and decide you want to tweak the mix, you can just go straight back to the mix, make your changes, and when you go back to the mastering project, that file is automatically updated with the new version. Uh, whereas if I have if I need a mix tweak from a client, they have to send me a file and I have to swap it out by hand. It's not the end of the world, but it's a it's a nice kind of unique feature. I'm not aware of anything else that works that way. Reaper has subprojects, which is kind of like a project within a project, and you. You can convert any project into a subproject. I don't like to do mastering that way though, because I find revisions like I whenever I make a, a change to a project, I want to give it a new a unique name. Once you do a unique name, it's not a subproject anymore. It's going to it's not going to automatically update in your master project. So I don't know how Studio One deals with that, or if you if you just have to use the same name. And you make the change, and then you have no way of going back. I think you can save different versions, and I think because the mix and the master are kind of part of the same project, I think you can link those, and they have external audio files. So I, th- I think you could use it in that way. I haven't used it a ton, so maybe somebody will correct me on that. Yeah, Reaper does it a kind of a, a interesting way. They take they convert the project file into a thirty two bit WAV file, so like. So the the project becomes kind of like metadata in this this file. And then that file is supposed to be just temporary, sort of. They use a, a proxy file. Um, but yeah, you can import it into any projects, and you just double-click it to uh, to open up the original project. Pretty interesting way of working, but I don't like doing it <laughs> that much. Well, I, thinking about it, I guess that's how Studio One works as well. Um, because yeah, it, it definitely renders a file that's a kind of intermediate file it's the mix file but it must be stored as 32-bit floating point because then you can apply further processing in the mastering mode and then at the final stage it gets you know did the down to 16-bit if you're going to cd or whatever it is every time you save a change you have to re-render that that temp file yeah and that's well i mean that's one of the nice things again for me about working in wavelab is you don't because you're applying the processing in real time as you listen to it and then at the point where you save, then you export, and you're done. Um, but yeah, it, then you don't have the advantage of being able to double-click on a file and go back to tweak the mix. Um, so yeah. it's kind of swings and roundabouts. So one other option we haven't mentioned yet, which we probably shouldn't, is Isotope Ozone. They have a, a standalone application, um, as well as the the plugins that people probably are already aware of. Um, I haven't used that. I don't think you have. I haven't. I'm a few versions behind on it. Yeah, Last time I checked, you weren't able to export DDPs from Ozone. Um, if they've updated that, then I will have to apologize to them. Um, but that's certainly another option in terms of processing. And of course, you combine that with the restoration capabilities of RX, and you have a very comprehensive mastering solution there. And the latest version of T-Rex also has like a standalone 
version. And I'm just looking at like the bullet points on this website, and it says that you can also do album assembly with multi-format export. But I don't see DDP listed here as one of the features. So that plus the HOFA plugin or uh, the standalone HOFA app would be another possible mastering solution. But I don't know. Use a DAW. <laughs> Use a DAW. Use any plugin you want and export it as well, a DDP. I was going to say, I mean, here we are. We've been talking about it for almost an hour now. I, I feel like people listening are going to want some recommendations from us. Uh, for what to master in. And I'm very happy using WaveLab, apart from the limitations with external hardware. You're very happy using Reaper, apart from... There are a lot of people switching to Reaper for mastering in yeah. the past year or so. So, But it doesn't have DDP support. So, you know, the, you guys listening can make up your minds from that. I would say, for me, uh, I mean, people quite often ask me, should I get, say, they know that I like WaveLab, and they say, should I buy WaveLab? to do the mastering. And I always say no. I mean, maybe if you really want to be a mastering engineer and offer that as a service to other people, and you're planning on doing multiple masters every week and you want to export CD masters, that would be a valid reason for switching to something like WaveLab. Um, but otherwise, just stick with the DAW you have. The third-party plugins are available across all of the platforms. You can use things like Sonorous and Hofer to do the DDP generation. It's all there in the DAW that you have. Uh, your time is much better spent learning to get better results sonically um, and thinking about all of the things that we talk about on this show all the time, the balance between songs, the gaps, optimizing loudness and dynamics, getting EQ right, all of those kind of things, rather than learning a new piece of software to try and achieve the results. Because any of the pieces of software we've mentioned is capable of great results. And if you just need to do a DDP and you're happy with your masters otherwise, I'll do it for like 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think that last point can be our maxim this week. What's the best mastering DAW? It's the one that you already have. Um, you just might need to get a few extra bits and bobs along the way to enable you to cover all of the bases. But hopefully there's some stuff in there that uh, has been interesting for people if, if this is a topic that you're interested in. So, John, thanks again for helping me find my way through this topic. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. Thanks to John for mixing and editing the episodes as ever. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. Please head to themasteringshow.com forward slash review uh, to leave some feedback for us, to leave us a rating and a review. That's really helpful and lets other people find the show. And thanks for listening. 